Heavenly Father, this morning, as we have felt your presence through music and through um, a prayer, beautiful prayer, uh, may your spirit continue to speak to our hearts. May we hear you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Newton says it best. He says, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If something's put in motion, something else is going to happen. It's the, it's the law of cause and effect. If something happens, something else will happen. When there's something in movement, you can guarantee that something else is going to happen as well. It's expected. You can count on it. You just know it's going to happen. For the past several years, I've been following a group of college roommates that have made a name for themselves. In fact, they've made a name for themselves because all they do is trick shots. You might know them as Dude Perfect. Anybody? Okay, we know where the generations sit in the church. We saw a few hands here, and I heard a lot of yes from back there. Very cool. Dude, perfect. They're, they're Christian guys, and you can tell it just by the way they interact and, and speak. Um, great guys. In fact, they're coming to Orlando, I think in uh, September. Uh, they do a show. Some of you are planning on going there. If you don't know who Dude Perfect is, it's okay. I, I, I'll explain it as we go. They do trick shots. Uh, when they first started out, people said, these are not real. They, they, nobody can really do this. They'll shoot basketball shots from the top of like 30-story buildings, and it'll go in. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do bow and arrow like trick shots in the back of pickup trucks as they're driving by. It's pretty unbelievable what they do. And um, what you know on their trick shots is it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Like, they don't ever post a video of them missing a shot. It's always, it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. It's predictable. Not too long ago, though, they posted a video of unexpected trick shots. Have you seen that one in the back, those of you that know Dude Perfect? Unexpected trick shots. Trick shots that are pretty cool, but you wouldn't expect that the result to happen. And because none of you guys really watch Dude Perfect, um, I, I brought some for you today. In fact, we have four, sh four short clips, but I want you to figure out what you think is going to happen. What's, what's expected, but what's the unexpected? So here's the first one. Here we go. Where's it gonna go? Oh! You didn't think that, did you? Unexpected. You were thinking it was going in the other cup, didn't you? Not that one. All right, here's the next one. This is the treehouse bucket. Here we go, boys. Oh! Unexpected. You didn't see that coming. All right, here's, here's another one. We only have two more. This is called eight uh, corner pocket. Eight, eight ball corner pocket. Corner pocket. There's more. Got him. Look, did you hear that collective wow that just happened? Dude Perfect's YouTube views just went up. I know what you're doing all Saturday afternoon, watching YouTube. All right, this last one is with an airplane and a balloon. See if you can figure out what's going to happen here. What about the blue balloon? <laughs> there it is. Unexpected things happening. Not predictable. You don't know what happens with the unexpected. In 2004, I started playing golf, and I was terrible. 
so bad. In fact, I was the task force dean at Auburn Adventist Academy out in Washington State, and the, the head dean there said, hey, let's go golfing. I said, great. He had an extra bag of clubs, and so uh, he handed them to me, and we got to the golf course, and, and I didn't even know that you had to strap the clubs into the golf cart. And so as soon as he hit the gas, the whole bag and, and the clubs spilled out across the golf cart path. We get to the first hole, and I'm trying to impress him. I don't know what I'm doing, so I swing as hard as I can. The ball ricochets off a tree and heads straight for a plate glass window on somebody's house, and it barely misses the, the, the window. A year later, still terrible. I mean, I'm still terrible today, but I really enjoy it. A year later, I'm golfing at my home course in Calhoun, Georgia. It's, a, it's like a little executive course, costs $5 to play nine holes. That's about my skill level and as much money as I want to invest in this as well. And we get to the course, my dad and I were playing. We get to the fifth hole. The fifth hole is 110 yards, par three. If you know golf, you know what I'm talking about. There's an elevated green, so it's a little lower of a tee box. And I go first, get my, my pitching wedge, line up my shot, swing, make good contact. It sounds good. It looks good. It's flying. Is it going to land on the green? It lands on the green, and I watch as it rolls and disappears. And I think, I think to myself, did that just really happen? And I look at my dad, and he says, does that really happen? He, he hurries up and hits his shot and slices it way over into the woods. We jump into the cart. We go to the top of the hill, and we're looking for my ball. We look all around the green. We don't see it, see it. We look on the green. We don't see it. And so I walk over to the hole, and I look inside, and it's full of water because it rained that morning. But after reaching down in the hole, I pulled out my Nike One hole-in-one ball. That's unexpected. We've all had unexpected things happen to us, things that aren't planned, that you, you're not thinking are going to happen, but it happens. Uh, the guy in front of you at Starbucks buys your co coffee. The, the police officer that pulls you over lets you off with a warning. Unexpected things that happen are really fantastic. This morning, as we look at a Bible passage, may the unexpected connection of Jesus be something that urges you forward in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible today, or if this is your first time in church, I, I talked to one person this morning, Joey's in the back there. Uh, this is his first time here today. Um, if, you're, if you're new to this church, there's a blue book in front of you. It's the Bible, and you can follow along on page 818. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm reading out of the New International Version. You can read whatever version you're using. Uh, this passage made a big impact on my life um, about a year and a half ago as I was reading the Bible. And, and I came across this passage, and it was like a slap in the face for me as it encouraged me and wowed me and pushed me forward in my disciple journey with Jesus. In fact, so much that in the column over here, capital letters, I wrote, yes, triple exclamation point. This is good stuff. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, two verses here, uh, verse 14 and 15. Here's what he says. Are you there? Give me an amen if you are. Amen. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Paul says this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
I'm going to read it again. Here it goes. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all and that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's powerful. And you've got to understand the context a little bit to, to understand this passage. Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth. We're the church in Apopka, the Forest Lake Church. He writes to the church in Corinth. Paul is this uh, church planter, disciple maker. As he goes around, he shares the gospel, and little groups form, and they become churches. And as he continues on his journey, he always writes back to the churches, and he says, hey, I, I know the struggle you're facing. Let me encourage you. Or, or, hey, I wanted to praise you for what you're doing or how God's moving in your church. And he writes to the church in Corinth, but he writes to themselves. Several times. We have a, a couple of their letters right here, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But a lot of people think that 2nd Corinthians is actually his third letter that he wrote them. And in fact, some people say that this one is the severe letter. That's like an angry letter, like full of angst and, and kind of pointedness. And, you, and it makes sense because there's a group of people that have slid into the church in Corinth, and they've become buddy-buddies with the other church members, and they have begun to undermine Christianity and undermine Paul, saying, he's not who he says he is. And so Paul, he gets a little bit defensive in this letter, and I don't blame him. I mean, how many times has, uh, have you been taken advantage of, or ha your words have been twisted, or someone has misrepresented you and you've been defensive? It happens to all of us. I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, seven, eight years ago, now you're going to put, put the dots together and be like, oh, I know he was at this church at this time, so I know who it is. Don't do that. That's not, not intentional. Uh, I was working on the newsletter in our church. This is not Marietta, just so you know. And as I'm working on it, I, I wrote out my two-paragraph thought, and I sent it to the secretary. But instead of copying and pasting this to the, um, to the newsletter, she typed everything out. But the problem was she's not very good at grammar. And so in my two-paragraph piece for the newsletter, there were 17 grammatical errors which made me look illiterate. And I, and I wanted to put a disclaimer that said, hey, that's not me, I didn't do it. And Paul, as he writes in 2 Corinthians, he's defending himself saying, I am who I am, who God has made me. I am Paul, this church planter that God works through me. And he's defending the Christian church too. He's defending the character of Jesus. And he writes to this little church in Corinth that continues to grow, that continues to get better. And he writes about his life, his life of a disciple. You know Paul's journey, right? You know he always wasn't Paul. He used to be Saul, and Saul was a jerk. I don't mean like a first day of school bully that trips the school nerd and the books come spilling in the hallway or stuffs somebody in a, in a locker. The Bible describes him as a murderous person, a, a jerk that's killing people. In fact, he gets permission from the high priest to go and seek out people, followers of the way. That's, like, that's the Christian disciples that want to grow with Jesus. And so Paul, he, Saul, he's out killing Christians, and as he's on the way to Damascus, this light from heaven shines down on him, and he hears a voice, it's Jesus, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's the unexpected. It's a, it's a connection with Jesus that you didn't even know. And he has this experience, and for the next three days, he's blinded. He lives in darkness as he wonders how he can live for the light. God works a miracle through Ananias as he goes to him and gives him his sight back. He gives him the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he gives him a new identity and name, and he becomes Paul. Paul's story is unexpected. 
He experiences something that I think not many Christians experience, and that is a conversion. In fact, I wonder if there's a problem in Christianity, a lack of conversion. In fact, I might step on some toes this morning, and I mean, it is what it is. I wonder if how, I wonder how often do we live inside of our Christian bubble because it's so comfortable, and we only have Christian friends, and we're only friends with the neighbors that are Christians, and we only go to schools where other Christians are, and we only hang out with other Christians, and our kids only have playdates with other Christians, and what happens is we become a group of people where our worldview looks like a club instead of looking like a mission field. And the more and the more we shelter and and huddle together as Christians, the more complacent and apathetic we look. And Christianity, instead of being a movement that sweeps across the globe with the message of Jesus, it turns into a worship service that happens once a week. All too often, Christians lack a conversion experience, an experience that is unexpected, that you didn't plan on. And sometimes I wish that each and every Christian had some sort of a conversion experience, this unexpected experience, because I believe that would transform uh, us into an army that sweeps across the globe that shares the message of Jesus with every person that we meet. I mean, I often dream of a time where Christians don't exist to consume, but we exist because of a conversion to be fully devoted disciples that are compelled to share Jesus with someone else. Paul says it, for Christ's love compels us. Because of the experience in Jesus' love, he is compelled to do something. Now that word compelled, it's an interesting word because oftentimes I think it sounds like the word obligated. Uh, I'm compelled to help mom with the dishes because she made supper, so I'm going to help her. I'm compelled, I'm obligated. I'm compelled to give him $5 because I'll feel guilty if I don't give him $5. It feels like an obligation, right? It sounds like something that you have to do. Have to do sounds like someone's ordering you to do something. Have to do is like uh, your boss walking in and you have to close the Facebook tab on your computer because you're supposed to be at work, so you have to do it because you don't want to get in trouble. Have to do is, is someone that's barking orders at you. Have to and get to are completely different. Get to is something that you get to enjoy. Get to looks like this. Not too long ago, I was driving home from the church, not here, driving home from the church. As I was on my way, I passed this little Catholic church, and as I'm coming up on the church, I see in the parking lot there's this um, elderly lady, and she's outside standing next to her brown Honda Civic. Looks like a nice new car, uh, one maybe her kids bought her so she doesn't have any car trouble. And she's standing out, and she's looking at the wheel, looking at the tire. And as I'm driving up, I realize that she has a flat tire. I can change tires in my sleep. I've done it a million times. This is not an issue. I know how to do it. But it's also a million degrees outside. There's never been a day in my life where I've been dressed up and said, hey, let's go stand out in the sun. When it gets above 70 degrees, I start sweating. I sweat through my shirt. I sweat through my pants. I become a sweater. It's terrible. And as I drive up, I realize this woman has a flat tire, and I was compelled. 
compelled to help her. Not I have to, but I get to. I pull over and I walk up to her and I say, hey, what's the trouble? And she's, she's very distraught and she looks at her tire and she says, you know, I, I must have hit the curb at Kroger before I was heading home and now I have a flat tire. And 10 minutes later, she had her, new, her spare tire on and she was on her way and I was back in the air conditioning. And I thought to myself, what an opportunity that I got to be a part of helping this lady. I was compelled, to, I got to help her. And when Paul talks about being compelled by the love of Jesus, it's an I get to, not an I have to. He basks in the love that he's experienced from Jesus, and he gets to do something else. Now, what I love about this passage is that Paul continues on in verse 20. It's just a few verses down, and it's like the, the rest of the story. Here's what it says, verse 20. Paul says, because you're compelled, he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, Man, did you get that? I'm going to read it again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Guys, it's crazy that we get to experience Christ's love, that he allows us on his mission. He doesn't need us, but he asks us to be a part of what he's doing. The God of the universe is all-powerful. If he wants to, to, spend, to, to, to spread the message, it just happens at the snap of a finger. Yet he invites us on his mission as ambassadors that he can appeal to others through us. Are you compelled this morning? Have you had a conversion experience accepting Jesus' love, and has it compelled you? Who has God placed in your life that you can be the ambassador, that God can make an appeal through you. One of my favorite parts of this church is that this church is not afraid to do things differently, even if we don't know how it's gonna turn out. Uh, last Sabbath was an example of that. We kind of broke the mold on what church looks like, and we did serving Sabbath. And I'm sure there's some people that thought, man, didn't get my church worship experience. And I get that too, you're totally fine. Uh, but what a neat Sabbath last week. Several years ago in Marietta, our church did something called Live Well Marietta. The church in Marietta is at the heart of homelessness for Northwest Atlanta. Um, just down the street from the church is a homeless shelter. Just across the street is the VA clinic. There's homeless people living all up and down Cobb Parkway right there in front of the church, in the woods, behind the church, all over the place. And because it's a homeless center, we thought, how can we um, minister to the local community that's right around us? And so we created something called Live Well Marietta. And on a Sabbath morning, the church showed up. We set up tables. We set up chairs. We set up um, 10 different haircutting stations from sports clips. They joined us. Free haircuts. We had, we had a shower truck from Atlanta. It's called a Hope Through Soap. They came and they hooked up to the, the fire hydrant, free showers. There was clothes. There was um, doctors and nurses that were there to, to help minister and, and see their physical needs. Uh, there was STD testing, which I think is a little bit weird, but cool, whatever. And we had it there. We fed them haystacks. Oh, yeah. They thought, what is this taco salad? And we said, no, no, no. It's a haystack, not a taco salad. And as, the, as we opened the doors, as we allowed people to come in, the, these uh, people that were struggling with different parts of life, they came walking onto our campus. And one of the first guys that came on was this guy right here. Here's a picture of him. There's me in the hat. There's Pastor Luke on the right. And there's this guy with the beanie in the backpack. 
a cool dude. As he walks up the hill to the church, he's limping. In fact, you look at his shoes, and his shoelaces are, are pulled, oh, pulled wide so there's more room inside his shoes. I don't know if he had the wrong size shoe or what was going on, but he's limping. And we welcomed him, we hung out with him, we hugged him. I mean, this was the day that nobody cared what anybody smelled like. Nobody cared what race they were. Nobody cared. It didn't matter because we were compelled to serve somebody else. And as he cycled through the different stations, he ended up at a station that I don't think I really would want to be at. It was the foot care station, the place he needed the most. It was just a table that had a pile of brand new clean socks on it. And there were chairs set facing each other for foot massages and for toenail trimming and you name it. In fact, uh, we got this picture of him here. There he is. I don't know if that's a happy smile or if that's a grimace in pain. But two of the church members, you've got Walter Castro and you've got Chad Harlan sitting in the chair. They've got their gloves on. They've got ointment. They've got lotion. They've got salve. And they're rubbing the blisters and the calluses and the, and the toenails and the gross stuff in there. But they're working on it because they want to. Yes, because they're compelled to share the gospel with someone else because they are ambassadors I don't know what your story looks like. If you've had a, a conversion experience that is life-changing, or maybe you've just grown up as a Christian and, and you just enjoy God's love. But my prayer for you this morning is that you are compelled to be an ambassador, to let, to let God appeal to uh, someone else through you.